Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus for revelation tonight that the word of God would speak loud, that you would impact our uh, imprint, our spirits, that you would speak to us through the word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, book of Revelation, tonight's session is entitled Heaven's Walls, Gates, and Streets. This is kind of a continuation of a session that we did a couple weeks ago where we were talking about the layout of the city of heaven. We just didn't have enough time in one session to cover all of it. And so I've kind of put these three things together because there's a, there's a specific way that these three things interact. The walls of heaven, the gates of heaven, and the streets of heaven uh, kind of help form a... An ecosystem is the wrong word, but a, a system that is uh, all operating together in order to accomplish the purposes of the Lord. And so we're going to look at these three, uh, but admittedly, there is a lot of uh, um, connection to the last session, though not overlap of material. Okay, well, we're looking at the wall of the city here, and uh, in this uh, opening Um, The first point that I just want to make is that it shouldn't surprise us that God who is infinite and holy and awesome and beautiful and all-powerful and is the leader of the universe, that he's surrounded by a giant wall, that there is a walled city surrounding him, that there is a a fortress sort of a feeling um, from where he leads. And uh, we're told that this wall... In uh, Revelation 21, verse 12, we're told that it is great and high. So uh, Revelation 21, 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. So we see that it's great and it's high. Uh, We're told um, about its height actually being 1,400 miles high. That is a great high wall, if ever I did hear of one, one that is 1,400 miles high. That is a really big high wall. Um, It's... Its greatness, I think, not only in its uh, bigness, but its greatness is also in its glory. As we read about the details of this wall, it's unbelievable. It's incomparable. This wall is made of the most precious things, and so it is described as both great and high. Uh, I just think that's a, I mean, you could meditate a lot on both of those words and the related ideas and get kind of a good picture. Um, But that it's a, it, this wall, also its architecture, has just got to be incredible. We touched on that just a little bit uh, in our last session related to it's decorated with every type of precious stone. The wall itself is. So the architecture of this wall is just unbelievable. It's also an, um, an imposing obstacle for anyone who would try to seek to enter the city uh, without permission. as a really, really big wall. Next, it's thick. This wall, I just did a little bit of, I don't know that these ideas that I'm going to share are perfect science. I'm sure there never are when they come out of my mouth, but that there's some, uh, just some connecting ideas related to the thickness. Now this part is, is clear. It's 144 cubic, uh, cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. We see in Revelation 21, 17, it's about 200 feet thick. You have never heard of a 200 foot thick wall. I mean, a football field is 300, you know, feet. So you're talking two-thirds of a football field thick wall. 
that's really, really thick. The thickness of the wall is making a statement. It's making a statement about the infrastructure, about the support structure. It's making a statement about the impenetrable nature. 200 feet thick is really, really thick. Now, here's my bad math. The, uh, the nuclear bomb that was dropped in Hiroshima was uh, created a, a hole in the ground about 75 feet deep. So you can just imagine that blast. 75 feet deep is deep. But the, the dirt was like dirt. It wasn't, it wasn't solid. It wasn't a solid surface that it was dropped on. So you got a lot of dirt and dust and clay and that kind of thing. We're talking about a 200-foot thick, solid thing. If a nuclear bomb hit it, it wouldn't even dent it. I mean, that is just such an intense idea that our like, most explosive you know, incendiary device would not even touch the, the uh, structure of the... I, just, I mean, it might leave a scratch, maybe, probably not. And so I was just thinking about it. I was like, dang, that is really, really thick. It was a thick wall. The details that were given, they're not arbitrary. They're, they're not without meaning. Each detail that we're told about the wall, about the city... It's to get our divine imagination running and seeing that, trying to picture, what does a 200-foot thick wall look like? How big is 200 feet? Just try to picture those ideas. Well, it also says the wall is made of jasper. Now, jasper can come in an array of colors, though typically it's like a brown, you know, reddish, rustish kind of a, a color. Um, but it's also uh, this specific uh dynamics of this jasper stone is that it's clear. And so we've got like a clear, you want to imagine like a piece of glass that's got a red hue to it, but it's also 200 feet thick red glass hue wall, jasper. It's just, wow. I mean, he doesn't build, even his walls he doesn't build like we do. Cinder blocks just have no place in heaven. He builds his walls out of giant precious jewels. It says the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Next detail that we look at, top of page two, the wall has 12 foundations. We talked a little bit about those foundations last week, but what I want you to do now is I want you to imagine this giant jasper cube from a distance, because John is seeing this from a distance. And John can see the 12 foundations. The reason he's telling us about these foundations is because you can see them in the wall. So he's seeing this really great high wall, but he sees 12 layers. He says there's 12 foundations in the wall, and that then he describes each foundation having a different colored gem. So the, the wall is of a jasper hue, but every so often, there's another layer. There's another foundation in the wall that's being described. So from a distance, it looks like some bit of a rainbow. I mean, you've got these different colors, uh, stone foundations that run all the way across uh, the entirety of the wall. Now, part of the reason that I bring up the, uh, the subject of the foundations is because I think it really adds to the beauty imagining those 12 colored stones inlaid within the, uh, the foundation of the, uh, of the wall. But the second is, we need to now start to think about this city more like a giant building and not only as a city. We want to imagine a city within a building because we're told that it's got this great high wall, but within the wall are 12 foundations 
and that it's 1,400 miles high. So what we're actually picturing here isn't just a city operating uh, um, uh, autonomously out there. It's a city that is built upon the, uh, within the walls and according to the walls. The reason that this matters is without the walls, pay attention to this point, without the walls and specifically without the city's infrastructure being built into the walls, without the walls, a city can only be one floor. Now you can build buildings that can be as tall as you want, but the city itself can only be one floor. But there are 12 foundations. And the only reason those foundations are able to exist, they don't free float. They're connected to the walls of the city. The 12 foundations are in the walls of the city. So you've got effectively, you've got 12 layers, which means this city isn't one story tall, it's 12. So now you've got, you know, just doing the math again, you got about 115 miles if it's equidistant. You got about 115 miles between each floor, which is plenty of room for atmosphere in every single layer of the city. Okay, so that, the, the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up, we, we talked about that in the last session, the reason I'm bringing it up here is the essential nature of those walls being part of the city for it to be multi-leveled. Because the foundations are built into the walls. Without that, the, you couldn't build up. I mean, any building could build up, but the city itself couldn't build up. And so we've got 12 foundations in the walls. Now, with that thought process, just a, a verse jumped out to me that I, I had uh, not connected the dots on this before. The verse in Revelation 3.12 that says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. Pillars connect at the base and connect at the ceiling. That's what a pillar does. Pillars are not freestanding. Pillars are their support beams, but they're support beams that run vertically, okay? This is a pretty wild idea to imagine that the Lord would make the faithful at the end of the age, that there is a way for the faithful to be made pillars in the temple in heaven, to be made a physical pillar. That's just, wow. But when you're starting to imagine now, you've got, and think about how big that pillar is. I mean, that is really an elaborate pillar, potentially. So I don't know if that verse means that or not, but it does connect some dots that I hadn't seen before. So I just leave that with you. Start thinking of heaven not only as a city, but as a really big building. A really, really, the super building, the superstructure. Okay? The gates of the city. All right. New Jerusalem has gates built into the walls. This tells us a lot about heaven, about its privacy, about its worth, about checkpoints, systems. I mean, the fact that heaven has gates, so you don't just genie blink in and genie blink out. You physically walk into the city through gates. That's a pretty profound idea. This tells us a lot about its functions. Just want to read you these three verses, and then we'll kind of break down the ideas a little bit. Revelation 21, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life enter it. No one will ever enter it. The idea of coming in and going out of the city. 
through gates. 22 verse 14. Blessed are the one who watches their robes that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. So there it is again, the traveling through the gates. I think we've always read these verses before and equated it to go to heaven. You know, may enter through the gates of heaven. And we're kind of imagining the idea of that means I'm saved, I get to go to heaven. Well, it's a prerequisite, but it's not actually what's being described. What's being described is walking through these gates that we're reading about. Walking through the gates into heaven. Okay? Revelation 21, 24. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, into the city. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. So there are three verses that describe these gates, the the functionality of these gates, not the description of them. We're given the description in these other verses that we'll look at. Those gates in the book of Revelation, or those passages in Revelation, describe the functioning of those gates. Okay? All right. The gates, these are the gates of a fortress. Revelation 21, verse uh, 12, again, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. This great high wall, you're, you're imagining a medieval castle times a billion. Like, this is the most impenetrable fortress, okay? Great high walls with gates. Those gates serve the exact same purpose as the gates do in that medieval castle. They're for entry. They're for protection. They're for bottlenecking. I mean, it's for all the reasons. I mean, it's, that's why those gates are there. All right? Uh, uh, Proverbs 14 says, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. I just think that's the, that's the, the wisdom of Solomon sneaking in a little bit about what happens when you wind up upstairs is that you are part of a secure fortress in the most incredible way. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Uh, Isaiah 33 says this, he who walks righteously and speaks what is right, this is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. Again, the whispers of the Holy Spirit through the prophets. Here Isaiah is describing the one who speaks uprightly, the one that loves the Lord and winds up with him in eternity. They will dwell on the heights in the mountain fortress. It's just... Awesome. I, just, I imagine that, that Isaiah, in order to be able to utter those words, he must have had some revelation of what is up. And then he goes on to describe, he says, you'll see the king and his beauty in a land that stretches afar. How about 12 plains of nearly 2 million square miles each, 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's approximately 2 million square miles times 12 layers. That's, that is a land that stretches afar if ever I heard one. The gates are made of giant pearls. Oh my gosh, when you do the math on this, this is just bizarro. Each one of these gates is its own pearl. Look at this, Revelation 21, 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Not they were made of a bunch of pearls. Not they were made of pearl. Not they were made of acrylic pearl, pearl, you know, substitute. It says... The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate, if you had any question, was made of 
a single pearl. Oh, snap. The rarity of these existence. Pearls are rare. In fact, it's estimated that there's only one single pearl found naturally in 10,000 oysters. So it's, it's rare. It takes a long time for pearls to form. The size of a, a common pearl earring takes about five years for that thing to form. So if you've got any pearly earrings, each one of them things was about five years in the making. That's just so intense. Okay, so just following that math a little bit so we can understand the value here. Because of their beauty and the way that they're formed and their, their rarity, uh, pearls are considered to be one of the most precious and one of the most rare gems, even though they're not a gem in the common sense of what we're used to getting out of the ground. We get this out of an oyster's mouth, but they're considered to be of great rarity and, uh, and value, okay? But pay attention to this. With the conservative number of, based off of, you know, just the way that they uh, estimate how slowly a pearl forms, about one millimeter every year, that means it would take 304 years to form a foot. All right? So call it every 300 years you get a foot big pearl. Now, let's just go with a conservative number. It says that there's, there's 12 of these gates, all right? And they're spaced out. If the gate is six feet wide, I just imagine everybody's ticked and thinks, think God did a bad job. God, that gate should have been a little bit bigger. Six foot wide gate was a really bad plan. These gates are not six feet wide. I don't know how big they are, but they are a commensurate of what it is that they are related to. There, they are, there is some measure of acceptable size, shape, beauty, glory. So I'm just going to go with 100 feet wide, which I think is still a woefully inadequate size. But I'm just going to go with 100 feet because 100 feet really isn't that big when you've only got one of these every 450 miles. Okay? It says there's three on each side. All right? And each side is 1,400 miles. So that means there's about 450 you know, miles before. And if you do the math a little differently, that's fine. My point is... There's a ton of space between each one of these. The gate better be big enough that it makes sense that there's even a gate there, not a little hole in the wall. So I'm going to go with a 100 feet uh, wide gate that is totally a made-up number by me, admittedly. I just need something to kind of wrap my head around in order to have something to talk about. If it's 100 feet wide and the gate is made of a single pearl, that pearl took 30,400 years to form. 30,000 years to form a pearl gate? Dang. Also, we need to talk about these clams for a second. <laughs> because that is a really, really big clam. And just, just giving a little bit of thoughts here. There's no reason, I'll just say it this way, there is no reason for us to be imagining these pearls are formed differently than the way pearls are formed. There's no reason for our mind to immediately go to, God just genie blinked it, or he made it in the pearl factory. 
We have pearls on earth, and God is saying, John is telling us they were made of a single pearl. We're supposed to connect the dots to, there's a pearl down here that we understand, it's this big. There's a pearl up there that's really big. We're supposed to understand it as a similar thought process. There is no place on planet earth where clams that big could be. What, where, what body of water are these clams in? Where, how big is that body of water? I'm just saying there's a lot of things that heaven has that were manufactured in heaven. There's a lot of things in heaven that, remember, earth is just the little shadow, just the little, it's the little copy. It's in the shadow of heaven. Just think about the oceans in heaven and the pearls, rather, the clams that are in these oceans. What is in those oceans that we know not of? I mean, just, there's just some things to ask yourself there. Some big questions. The origin of these giant pearls. These gates, back to the gates, that are made of a single pearl each. A really, really big pearl that came from a really big clam. The gates have names written on them. It's the names of the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, again, I brought it up in our last session. Were those names always there? Or were those names carved after Jacob had boys? I'm more of the thought process that they were there all along and Jacob accidentally named his sons right. And that he was actually in sync with the Holy Spirit in relationship to the, the building of heaven. But even if that's not the case, somebody had to go carve those names into those giant uh, gates, carve them in on the side or whatever. You just imagine you're, you know, you're one of the, the sons of Jacob and you're there and, and the angel's over there with a giant chisel and he's like, you know, hammering out your name in the gate. That is so intense. With the 12 angels at the gates and the gates and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 gates. Again, I told you that's about every 450 uh, miles. To give you a, uh, just a picture, a, a concept here of, of distance, that's a straight line, not necessarily road, but it's a straight line between here and Kansas City. So for those of you who have ever made that drive, that's a, that's a long distance from one gate to the next gate. If they're equidistant, which maybe they're not, which then means it's further to the next gate for, for one of them. But that's if they're equidistant. People are entering in on every side. It says that there's gates on the east, gates on the north. Gates. There are all, all uh, four sides. I'll give you Revelation 21, verse 13. Three gates on each side. So they're, they're in position. Well, interestingly, the earthly temple that Jesus is going to build has a very high wall, not like this wall, but has a high wall and has 12 gates, three on each side. So the, the earthly temple that Jesus is going to build is going to be patterned after heaven, patterned after the temple above, okay? So that's just a really cool, intense idea. Gave you the verses there. I'm going to keep moving. The angels at the gates. There are 12 angels. And they are posted at these gates. Now, what's not immediately clear is whether John is telling us that there are only 12 angels or 
that there is always an angel at each one of these 12 positions. It could go either way in my mind. In fact, just from the standpoint of the way that the priesthood operates, which even our earthly priesthood is a pattern after heavenly priesthood, all of those ideas would tend to make me think there's probably a rotation system and that there's an order of angels. But maybe not. Maybe there's just 12 angels and they never leave. They never, you know, take a break. They never have a day off. They never have, maybe, maybe that's how it is. That really well could be the case. Said it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. So the reason I say it the way that I do is, John doesn't say there's only 12 gate angels. He says, I looked and I saw heaven. And when I saw heaven, I saw 12 gates and I saw 12 angels at the gates. Well, are those the same angels that were there yesterday and the same ones that will be there tomorrow? It does not make that point clear. It says there are 12 angels at the gates. So is there a group of angels? Is there like a whole priesthood or category of angels that are just gate angels and they rotate? I don't know. One thing that we do know is they serve as guards at these gates. Now, I'm sure they've got other purposes and, uh, you know, they might, you know, nod at you if they like you. But they are definitely serving as guards here. Revelation 21, verse 27, we read it earlier. Nothing impure will ever enter this city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can you just imagine trying to be the guy that you, you're doing the no-no? And it's like, you, you, you are dirty and shameful, and you're trying to get in. And the angel sees you. And says things and maybe does things that help uh, discourage you from being able to make it in. It says, one thing we can be positive of is, I mean, you, listen, this verse is given to us because people are going to try. Why else is it there? Why is it even said, nothing impure will enter it? Well, who would even try to do that? Somebody's going to. What happens? Just so you know, nothing will enter it that is impure. It won't happen. They can try all they want. Their plans will be thwarted. There are some really big angels that are going to take care of business at those gates. They serve as guards. They're like the cherubim at the garden. The cherubim that were posted at the garden. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the, guard, uh, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What if these angels also are accompanied by floating, flashing swords? Just back and forth. It's like, if you got a resurrected body, you're golden. You get right in. If you're one of the millennial saints that's going to get to come up and do some stuff, you got to wait. And the angel's like, hey, flaming sword, hold up a second. Kind of stands there and he keeps hitting him on the side while he lets the dudes walk in and then goes back, <laughs> flaming sword. I don't know how it is. I just know we have the picture of the guarding angels at the garden in, uh, in Genesis for a reason. And now we're told, oh, here's like the garden, you know, to its you know, fullest degree and fullest capacity, the garden of heaven, which is actually a session we'll do. Uh, and it's got guarding angels at these gates. And they will, they will do the same thing that this guarding angel did. They will make sure that nothing impure gets in. Pretty intense. They are powerful. I'm going to skip that part. You can read it on your own. The great street of the city. 
There is a great street in the heavenly city. I just, I want you to forget for a second that you already know that. Think about how cool it is to learn that heaven has streets because of all that that means. Because we know what streets are for. See, when, when we're told about pearls in heaven, it's because we know what a pearl is and we know what pearls do and what they look like. When we're told about streets in heaven, it's because we understand the concept of streets, what happens on them, what they're for. All, that's the reason that we're told. And remember, this is all just a shadow down here. This is all the bad versions. The, the best that man has built is still woefully inadequate to whatever the worst thing God ever made in heaven is. I mean, whatever the angel's talking about, it's like, I think that's actually, that's the lowest. Man, you're talking about, that is so awesome and intense. Yeah, it's still, it's the worst thing he's ever made. I mean, it's the worst, it's the worst. Let's just agree. I mean, whatever the worst thing in heaven, it's still so superior to whatever our coolest thing is down here, okay? So when it says streets, of course they're elaborate and ridiculous. Of course they are. But they're also still streets by function and purpose, okay? Says Revelation 21, 21, the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. This implies that there are additional streets by pointing out this one and calling it the great street. This is the great one. Why do you say the great one? Why don't you say, and the street of the city? There's only one street because there's not one street. This is the great street, which somehow or the other forms like the major superhighway system of heaven, but it's got lots of supporting streets because it's a city and cities have streets. But this is the great street that's being talked about, all right? It's made of gold, pure gold, like transparent glass. So it's like, this street is awesome. I'm imagining it doesn't have any skid marks. This is just like a really beautiful street. You normally don't, like, unless you're in some, I don't know, like really well done, you know, restored old timey city or something, you don't normally look at a street and go, that's beautiful. (laughs) I love that. You normally think pothole don't stand too close. You know, you normally think, gosh, These are ugly as sin. I mean, they serve a purpose. We're grateful for them. But you don't normally think, that is a thing of beauty. In heaven, they just sit around and talk about the pavement. They're just looking at, the, like, man, that is, look at that road. That is really pretty. Wow. Just, I'm telling you, the ugliest stuff in heaven is awesome. You just look at it like, man, that is really something. And so it's of pure gold, like transparent glass. So again, one more, just reminding yourself about the 12 foundations Each foundation is made of a transparent stone. So you can see through it some level, somehow, some degree. You can see through it to the one below it. However, it stands to reason, this doesn't say this that I'm aware of, but it stands to reason if the walls are 200 feet thick, the floors probably are too. So 200 feet thick floors, again, totally made up. But if they are 200 feet thick, you're going to have a hard time seeing a whole lot through 200 feet of whatever. I don't care how pretty and clean it is. Um, All right. There's also a river in the middle of this street, which is not how we normally build. This is different. It's also a fact that serves purpose. This is not accidental. This is not God messing up. This is two forms of transportation operating simultaneously. 
The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. We'll talk about the garden dimensions in another session. Today, I just want us to look at the fact that there, it says the great street has the great river, if you will. Now, this is called the river of the water of life. I'm just imagining it's not a two-inch stream. We're all very disappointed. Is that all you got? This is the river of the water of life. Now, again, I'm just thinking our river's down here. They're just pictures, patterns. They're just, what if this street is a lot bigger deal than we're thinking? What if this river makes the Nile look tiny? I mean, what if this is a really big river? Well, we know it's significant because we're told elsewhere that this river flows out of the city of Jerusalem and it starts hitting water tributaries on the earth in the, uh, in the millennial kingdom. Well, in order to be able to travel that distance, it's going to need to be pretty wide because there's no river two inches wide that's going to survive the you know, 800 miles across the desert from Jerusalem to the, the tip of the Mediterranean. There's just, uh, yeah, Mediterranean. Um, no, not Mediterranean, the Red Sea. The tip of the Red Sea where the, where the, uh, uh, the Indian Ocean starts to have little arms that come up. It's about 700, 800 miles, if I remember right. It's its first touch point, because we're told that it's, it's flowing that direction. Here's my point. This is probably a boss of a river, meaning the street is also a significant street. So I just want to throw this out there. I'm not saying this is what it's like. I'm just, I'm going to throw out a different idea to try to maybe unlock our thought processes here a little bit. What if the street, kind of like we've got the concept of eastbound, westbound traffic on a street, Okay. What if this street has got some sort of idea like that, but, the, but either one of the sides, either one of the eastbound or westbound, just making that part up, either one of those is massive. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of feet across, maybe a mile across all the lanes and, and the purposes. Because I'm just imagining if it's the great street of the city, God has thought through the public transportation thing really, really well in heaven. So I'm imagining there's walking paths on the street of the city. There's probably some sort of vehicle paths. There's horse paths. There's all sorts of paths on each side with the river of the water of life between. And imagine the Nile River. Now we're talking about boating transportation that's also potential to be able to traverse the city. Remember, it's a city. City requires movement, requires transportation. Like actually people going, I'm going to go see my friend. Where's, my, where's your friend? Well, they're up on level six. It's about, you know, three days, you know, journey by river and walking and buggy. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. I just know that it is an immense city. And we want to think of it as a city with streets and rivers. And streets and rivers serve the purpose that you're thinking that they serve. All right. The streets lead to the gates. Now, we're told here, Revelation uh, 21, 21, bottom of page six, and then we'll break up into groups. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made with a single pearl. The next statement, because John's describing what he's seeing. 
He's giving you a play-by-play of what he's seeing. He's, first, he describes the wall, then he says there's foundations in it, then he describes the gate, and the very next thing he says is, the great street of the city was of gold, of pure, uh, as pure as transparent glass. Why does John skip to the, get, to the great street of the city? Why does he skip to that if it's not related to the concept he was just talking about, the gates? Because the great street of the city touches the gates, but it touches 12 gates. So this great street touches 12 gates. So that's why I say highway system, not single road that goes for, you know, 100 miles. It says the gate, he just described the gates, and now he's describing the great street. Not a street. He's describing the great street. But we also know this great street starts at the throne of God because we just read that verse. So now you've got the great street, let alone all the other streets. The great street of the city is connected to the 12 gates and to the throne. So you've now got a super system as far as uh, transportation goes, okay? All right, well, let's break up into groups. Look how many groups we got tonight. Four groups, six to seven. Okay, who are my uh, group leaders? All right, Caitlin, stay put. Luke Fredberg, why don't you come over here? And Andy's in the back. Is that right? All right, so groups of six or seven, uh, gather around. Luke Fredberg's coming over here. Uh, groups of six to seven. If you get too many people, chase them off to go to a different group. Group uh, question time here. And so, shh, 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 shh. okay, so we're going to go ahead and uh, go to our uh, group questions. Uh, we'll start in the back there, uh, Andy, with your group. I'm going to pretend you asked the question that I'm going to pretend you asked. And that is, where does the concept of refuse, where does that have place in this gated community in the city of heaven? And where, where does that go? And do they take it outside of the camp? Uh, they're, they for sure have good plumbing in heaven. So it all goes out somehow if there is in fact refuse in heaven, which is a debatable point. Um, I don't really know why you asked that question the way you did. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Andy just asked me, are there gates? Yes, there are gates. <laughs> all right, over here. Yeah. So the, the question, and I'm, I'm glad it got asked, um, uh, the question is uh, related to the verse that I uh, inserted in there out of Revelation chapter 3 that talks about one of the eternal rewards for the victorious at the end of the age is that they will be made a temple, I'm sorry, a pillar in the temple for God, and they will never leave it. Uh, that verse tied into the verse in Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 22 that says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Um, and then it goes on to describe some other things that aren't there. So the, the, the important part here that we always just want to keep in mind, we, we, it's so like we just want to get this as second nature to the way that we read every Bible verse. If there are two Bible verses that seem to not be uh, congruent, we are wrong. And they are. Both things were said by God, and neither one can be false. 
So both of them are true at the same time. I think the easiest way, and, and I think the way that we're to reconcile that is that in the age to come, even, even the whole thought process of I will show you the bride and then we see the city is what John has shown. Here we see uh, uh, John seeing he, doesn't, he says, I don't see the temple. He says, I didn't see it. He said, because the lamb and, uh, and God are the temple. I am imagining that the entire city now take on the function of the temple. And it's the city of God, and God is in the city, and the bride is in the city. And, but the, you can't make a reward for the saints that they will never, never, ever, long after the millennium, never leave the temple if in fact it says the temple doesn't exist anymore. That's not what it says. It says, I didn't see a temple because the lamb and God are the temple. So what is happening here is an upgrade reality, not a uh, extraction removal. And, and so uh, the, the, the question that I would even want to know the answer to that I haven't thought much through is less this point and more when it says, I think it's Revelation eight that it says i could be wrong on the chapter it says that god shuts the doors and the temple is filled with the smoke of his presence of his fury and everyone is kicked out of the temple and no one is allowed into it until after the fullness of his wrath has been released i would be more inquisitive of what geographic portion of heaven is being referred to as the temple in that specific verse um, and how does that relate to now, John says, I don't see a temple anymore. Is that, is that the, the doors to the temple are torn down, kind of like the veil you know, of the, uh, the, the shroud, was the uh, curtain was torn down at the, uh, at the death of Christ and resurrection? Is, that, is that, you know, that sort of thought process? I don't know. But what I do know is these two truths are true at the same time. So whatever version that we come up with, you don't side. There's no such thing as sides in the kingdom of God related to anything biblical, which is, and I know this is not what's being presented, but it is a point that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about because there's so many different groups in the body of Christ, probably not debating over the temple in heaven, but but there are so many different groups in the body of Christ that say, no, we're of this group. No, we're of this group. And they've got some select verses and select verses. It's like, I'm of both groups because both are in the Bible. And it's like, it's all true. There's not, you know, there's no sides. There's not like, this is true, therefore that isn't. This is true and this is true. These things are operating together, which means there's harmony between the two in a way that it's possible requires some revelation that we maybe wouldn't see on the front end. Um, so anyway, I would just say the way that I've always pictured it is the short answer to the question now after lots of words is... I think that what we're to picture is the entire city of God is serving as the temple of which the temple on earth is patterned after that 12 gates kind of concept, three on each side, uh, the temple on earth and the temple of heaven, as opposed to the temple in heaven. So that's how I would picture it. Great question. Uh, yes. So I, uh, it's difficult to restate the question, but I'll do my best to answer how I perceived what you were saying. Um, Revelation 21, verse 14 says, the wall of the city, the wall had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the wall at John's distance, and he's looking, he's able to see it, because he just got done describing it's 1,400 miles high, 
Okay, this, that's right before this. Okay, so he's describing it's 1,400 miles high. So he's able to see this. And it says the wall had 12 foundations. So built into the wall are the 12 foundations. Now, to the point you're making, okay, does it say the wall is 1,400 miles? It does not say that. It does not say that. But what it does say is the city has 12 foundations and that they are in the wall. So, so whatever wall you have has 12 floors, and then could there be more above that? Sure. Uh, but, but I would say if, if the wall has 12 foundations and there isn't more above that, why didn't we get any words about that? And, and I recognize that's an argument from silence. But it, it, it does stand to ask the question, why did John only tell us about the wall and not about anything else that he was seeing when he's describing the dimensions of the city? He's saying it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Also, if the foundations don't go to the top of the wall, why, why are there... What, what is the rest of the wasted space of the 1,400 miles if... if the, let's say it only goes 200 miles high. There's 14 or there's 12 foundations in a 200 uh, mile high wall. Made up numbers here. There's there's 12 foundations in a 200 mile uh, high wall. But then there's another 1,200 miles up of the city that's just like the top floor is really tall. Maybe. I mean, I could go with that. I guess. Uh, I guess, that, but I mean, but it's got to be really, really tall because it says the city is 1,400 miles tall. So uh, the most, the, the, the most um, spatially reconciling that I can get, you know, and I'm not hung up that it has to be a cube. I think it's one, but the, it's certainly the most spatially reconciling shape related to this 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles and 12 foundations in the wall in order to not waste the uh, vertical space. So but it could be another shape somehow. But, well, you know, I don't know. Okay. Um, all right, great question. Over here. Okay, so uh, Caitlin, I think, brings up an excellent theological point that is one that we probably all need to decide in our hearts about. Because this question, when asked about any other Bible verse, can get us in real deep trouble, okay? And that is, what if the prophet didn't mean what the prophet said? They wrote down words that aren't actually what it is. What if they're, what, what if it's really, really different? I think that it, the only safe version of interpreting the Bible is to take it at its, safe, at its face value. And that when we go beyond that, you, there is no end to how far away from truth you could end up. And so, uh, so related to, it, I'm, I'm sure it's so much cooler than what John's saying, but it's at least what John's saying. And that we're given, I mean, even the revelation of Jesus Christ, which was given to his servants to show them what must take place. We're supposed to take these words and understand them as truth. We're, they're not just cool concepts. It's not just John, you know, reaching. If someone on earth has a heavenly encounter and they come back from that heavenly encounter and they're having a difficult time explaining, we're going to give them lots and lots of room. If someone is writing the canonized Bible, 
We're taking them at what they said and going, I am sure there's a lot more to it than that, but it's got to be at least what the man said. And so, so I think that the reason that the Lord permitted John to see these things was to help us understand, oh my gosh, heaven's a lot like earth. Heaven's a real place that I can relate to. It's like, like stuff I understand. I think that's the real picture, the real reason that we're given, you know, the, the, uh, the picture. I, I mean, again, who knows what those four living creatures really look like, but they have to look at least like what John described. And it's possible that there's a lot more going on there. Uh, so I, I think, I, I think Caitlin asked an excellent question that's one that really is one that I think it's important that we settle from a theological standpoint, and that is how... How far outside of what is written here am I going to uh, give wiggle room to what God meant that could, in fact, be something completely different than what was written? You know, and maybe, yeah, he was doing his best. I mean, I think him doing his best is a, I, I would just never advise someone to process the word that way. Uh, I think it's much better, much safer to take it at face value and go, it's a lot bigger, a lot cooler, a lot better, a lot smarter and bigger and stronger, but it's at least what's written. So I think that's a far safer foundational statement. And I, I know, you know, Caitlin, I, I'm, I'm harping on this point because I think it's such an important one, not so much related to this passage, but related to, uh, to the thought process of how we approach the word. And so, uh, so I really appreciate that question and really appreciate Caitlin letting me do all that. So, okay. Uh, worship leader, whoever. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.